Well, hey everybody, Jonathan Dorr with you once again. Welcome to the Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast. It wasn't hard to choose the title for this podcast, really, was it? We try and do it every day. At least that's the intent. And this year, 2023, we are going to be very committed to that process. Why? Because there are so many awesome Catholic teachers just like you who keep falling into the very understandable trap of thinking that um, you're a bit alone, that nobody sees what you do, that you're not sure if it's all worth it because it's challenging, there's fatigue, there's burnout, there's so many things happening in the modern teaching profession itself, let alone the many challenges within Catholic education. But the good news today, my friend, is you are not alone. Listening with you today on this podcast are Catholic teachers just like you all around the world who love their Catholic faith. They love the magisterium of the church. They love the witness of the great men and women, the saints and martyrs down through the ages. They love the holy sacraments. You're not alone, my friend. You're not alone. There's lots of people like you and me out there who are just really keen to grow in faith and commitment to Christ and to help young people do the same. Now, did I do the housekeeping? Please make sure you've subscribed. Hit that subscribe button and there will be a bunch of links under here. If you're you're on the podcast app, you should see a bunch of links to take you through to go and grab a free uh, access pass to the Going Deeper Catholic Teacher Formation Program. It's an amazing program. I think we give you 10 free weeks of weekly video from me and from Karen uh, about Catholic education. So go check that out. But at the very least, please make sure you're subscribed. And I would love if you could share this on your social media, share this podcast with other great Catholic teachers. All right, friends, today I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to get topical. I'm going to get relevant. (laughs) Some of you go, well, what does that mean? Does that mean the rest of the time you're irrelevant? No. I want to talk about the Grammys. Uh, The Grammy Awards are on two nights ago. And... uh, you know, we try not to date the podcast, but many of you would have seen it. And if you're listening to this in the future, um, please don't go and look it up. But it's the it's the pivotal moment, of course, where the, uh, I don't know, what do you call him? Do you call him an artist, a musician? Because I'm not sure those things are actually happening. But uh, Sam Smith went out there and did this song called Unholy. It tells you about all you need to know. Uh, and the central motif, the artistic intent was uh, just utterly radically satanic uh, if you saw it i i you know i don't watch free-to-air tv ever but uh i jumped on youtube just to catch a sense of it and i was like oh wow <laughs> whatever pretense at subtlety hollywood still had has gone screaming out the window and was last seen heading west into the sunset friends because it was like the most obliquely blatantly satanic presentation and uh and interestingly then i went and made the double mistake of uh, looking up the song lyrics and the song lyrics are again lacking in all originality they're basically from what i could tell it's kind of it's an attack on family and marriage which you have to understand is satan's master play over the last kind of 150 years uh, it's kind of the reason why Karen and I did our second master's at the uh, John Paul II Pontifical Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family because I think it was, was it Pius the something, um, the Fatima Secrets? There was the sense that there was going to be the last great battle was the battle against marriage and family. So the lyrics of that song were very much like, you know, the the father is off doing terrible things behind everyone's back. And, and um, you know, it's no coincidence that, that you know, that is the focus you know of all the things they could sing about they could sing about drug use or all sorts of other things and i'm sure they do that too but um pay attention when you notice that the relentless focus is on marriage family and human sexuality right um that's how the game is being played at the moment now 
you know, I, I was thinking before, you know, for many years, Hollywood is very subtle, right? Like the whole entertainment industry was very subtle. And it's interesting to, to have some understanding of how that engine works. In my, in my master, second master's program, I really looked at, you know, the kind of foundational philosophical engine that underpins at least culture in the developed world. So I try to teach people in seminars that, you know, I used to say that uh, guns don't kill people, ideas do. You see, you know, things like war and conflict and all sorts of other negative pan-social experiences are always the result of some kind of underlying philosophy or thesis of reality, right? So people just don't tend to wake up one day and go, oh, let's form an army and let's go and kill all these people in another country for no reason. We always tend to have some kind of underpinning belief about the structure of reality. Now, hang in there with me if you're thinking, Jonathan, where are you going? You've wandered, you're flying off the reservation here. Now, stay with me because I'm going to land this plane. It's simply... The big thing I learned in that master's program was that if you look at the impact of someone like Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, who sadly most people only know from the inaccurate quote, whatever does not kill me makes me stronger. Often that's the one people quote, but I often think that's ridiculous. You know, you can drink poison, it may not kill you, but it sure as heck ain't going to make you stronger. But uh, Nietzsche's philosophy, so, you know, Nietzsche was kind of, you know, famously said, you know, God is dead and we have killed him. But I used to tell a joke when I was an undergrad at university. Um, I used to study on this desk in a library and somebody had written in graffiti, true story. It was this graffiti and it said, God is dead, Nietzsche. So you could tell some, you know, some undergrad had written that thinking that they were being really edgy. And uh, the next thing was uh, someone had come along underneath it and written, God is, uh, Nietzsche is dead, God. <laughs> now, I used to say to audiences, we know one of those statements is true, right? That we could debate the death of God, but there's no debate about the death of Nietzsche, right? So what I want to tell you is that Nietzsche's philosophies, such as the transvaluation of all values, going beyond good and evil, a whole bunch of stuff. Now, it was enormously influential. Strangely, it wasn't particularly influential in his own lifetime. He died of, uh, of syphilis uh, after traveling through various European brothels. Um, but his impact was utterly extraordinary. Now, here's the point. Um, his ideas became very de rigueur, very popular in uh, European universities around the turn of the 20th century. The European intellectual class leading from around, you know, from 1900 up towards, you know, through the 1920s was heavily, heavily Nietzschean. Now, when the Nazis came to power and then finally, when it was obvious that they were going to have significant plans for Europe, a large, large percentage of connected, you know, relatively wealthy European intellectuals left Europe fled fleeing Europe and ended up on the west coast of the United States and they ended up many of them getting tenured positions in American universities so my point here is that you can track the impact and influence of Nietzschean ideas of nihilism the death of God um, going beyond concepts of human morality good and evil then they shaped American universities and they had powerful impacts upon the entertainment industry you know, definitely in the 1920s and 30s, and then on through, of course, into the 50s and beyond. So what I'm getting at here is that this kind of, when you get Sam Smith at the Grammys, it's not an isolated incident. It's part of a process that's been going on for a very long time. And it's a process of, I would say, is diabolical. 
of course, from the Greek, Greek diaboline, which means to rip apart, to tear apart the, you know, the synthesis, the, the synthesis of faith and body and union and human life and truth and beauty and goodness, to rip it apart, to, to diabolically destroy it. And, and based and related to that, of course, is I always teach audiences of teachers that always remember that Satan cannot create, all right? He cannot create. He can only mutate. It's a really important distinction. The power of creation, especially creation ex nihilo, creation from nothing, belongs to God alone. One of the beautiful things about uh, being made in the Imago Dei, each of us being made in the image of God, is we are in Latin participes creatoris, which means co-creators, participators in God's creative act in cosmological history, which means what? Which means that we literally cooperate with God in the creative act. But Satan cannot create. Isn't that a fascinating distinction? He can only mutate. So he doesn't create a better or more appealing necessarily form of human sexual union or, or family union. He mutates the existing one. And also remember that with Satan, the point of his activity is not to win any kind of final battle. Always make that point. He's not trying to win any kind of final battle. He knows that is not possible, right? He understands that and biblical history all the way through to Revelation, the triumph of the Lamb, the feast of the Lamb shows that the, the enemy will be, or has been, defeated uh, in, in temporal time, but will be f defeated in cosmological time. So what all Satan can do between now and the final battle is simply to steal as many souls as possible from the hands of the loving Father, right? Do you understand that? So that's the game. All of the perversion, all of the you know distraction, and all of the hopelessness and nihilism that underpins culture is driven towards taking each individual soul away from God, collapsing souls into despair or depravity or moral compromise or sin so that they're separated in heart or body or mind from the Creator God. So all of this, my friends, 10 minutes and 8 seconds to get to this point, is to simply say, what is our role in this? And why am I talking about Sam Smith? Well, I'm talking about it because so many of your students probably saw some of it. The good news is that mainstream media is kind of being cannibalized, that there's so many different media access points now, different formats of media that, you know, the big networks, the big platforms don't tend to have as much reach as they once did. But let's agree that many of our students would have seen uh, the Sam Smith at the Grammys or they would have seen something like it before. They're very familiar with it. So I, I want you to be aware of this milieu, of this environment that they're that our young people are swimming in. And so what do we do? Well, I come back to the simple proposition that if you want to win a culture war, you don't win it necessarily by beating your enemies or forcing people to do or believe something. Well, how you win a culture war is simply by telling a better story. That's how you win a culture war. So Sam Smith gets up there and says, hey, the path to happiness is uh, sexual depravity and, uh, and demonic actualization and normalizing Satanism. And if you follow this path, you'll be famous, happy, exhilarated. So what we have to do is not really waste any time going, you know, and you can see it, right? You see the kind of the knee-jerk uh, reaction, you know, which has been there for many years, understandably, right, which is... You know, I guess it's the old moral majority response, right? Which was, you know, this is horrible, this is terrible, we need to ban this, this shouldn't be on TV. It's not going to happen, right? Because if you take it off TV, it's just going to manifest somewhere else. Uh, I'm not saying there should be no 
controls over what's shown in, in, in the wide public channels, but you get my point, right? Like, you know, banning books doesn't tend to basically have an enormous amount of effect long term. What does have good effect is telling a better story. What does have good effect is telling a better story. Telling a more beautiful story. A Catholic story is a story about truth, about beauty, and about goodness. See, why does a Mother Teresa still resonate with people? Why do people look at her lives? You know, some people would, you know, maybe would pick someone like a Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King, who, of course, some listeners would know also had their own backstories and compromises too. But we point to these people and we say, oh, there's something you know, that we want to emulate here. There's something good here. It's a moral good. We gravitate towards it. It's attractive to us or something that's profoundly beautiful. So I think that the role of a Catholic teacher is, you, do you understand, my good friend, that you are in a battle? This is a moment-to-moment, door-to-door, you know, hand-to-hand combat against a diabolical enemy that's what's actually happening in catholic education what do you think is satan's plan for each student what do you think his plan is it's not for their flourishing it's not that they would encounter more truth beauty and goodness it's not that they would know that they are made perfectly in the image of a perfect loving father he doesn't want them to know that he wants them distracted perverted confused so your classroom in many ways becomes a battleground how so? Well, it's you can do so much. The music that you might play, the the films that you might select to watch and to discuss, the literature and books you discuss. You could do any number of things. I used to, when I was teaching full time, I used to, you know, start lessons with a famous quote from a brilliant man or woman of history, and just you know, three or four minutes unpack the meaning of that quote, or a piece of poetry, or some music in the background, or times of stillness and silence in the chapel. Now, every time you do these, you will not notice a result. Your students will rarely come up to you and say, "Wow, you know, Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, that was that was the best lesson ever. I felt I felt a profound sense." of the sublime transcendentals transforming my inner person more and more into the image of Christ as I renew my mind. They're not going to be saying that, right? But we, we fight anyway. We fight anyway because all the great battles require commitment, time, heroism, sacrifice. And that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. So my friend, get back in there. Know your identity. You're not there by accident. You're not there by accident. You've been placed there. I have been placed in front of this microphone today, in this studio today. I've been placed here. So I'm going to be faithful to this moment until God changes this moment. And you need to be faithful to the moment that He's placed you in and go back in there and tell a better story. All right, friends, God bless you. I hope this has been useful to you. Please make sure you subscribe, share this with some friends, go check out those links. My name's Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast, and you and I are going to talk again tomorrow.